0: Good morning. First of all, if you are a visitor here for the first time today, I just want to give you a warm welcome, say welcome to, to Gateway. And as you've heard in the, uh, uh, in the announcements and in the prayer requests, uh, right now we're in the middle of searching for a pastor, a full-time pastor. But, but praise the Lord, we have a group of men in the church uh, who are gifted among our elders and others who are able to teach bring us God's Word each week, and and we're just truly grateful uh, for that. I have, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Greg Teal, been a Gateway since 2003, an elder for 10 years, taking uh, some time off from the eldership here uh, since last April. Uh, But really, it's a privilege to be able to to share with you today. I would say when Robbie prayed, you know, the pastor search community talked about uh, to help that small group be in unity uh, that's interesting. We've, we've been going through Romans in our Sunday school class for about the past year and a half. And we're now in chapters uh, 14 and uh, 15 or 13 and 14 and 15, where Paul begins to get to, to the issue of unity in the church. And, and I will tell you that uh, it is a worthy goal to wrestle with and strive with because unity in the church glorifies God more than just about anything because it demonstrates the power of Christ to break down any kind of a barrier. And so today, even as, as I share, uh, last time I shared with you, I shared from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, and today I'm going to kind of fast forward a little bit uh, to Romans chapter 12, verse, verse 9. So we're going to, and we'll probably only cover half of that verse today. And so um, I'd like to start out by saying that, that this has been a busy week, uh, busy news week on the political front. Uh, with elections, election issues, presidential guidance uh, to the public schools on the trans- transgender access to bathrooms issue. Uh, and on social media and the blogosphere, I've seen civil discourse on these matters. Uh, and I've seen heated debates, uh, sometimes with uncivil and uncharitable uh, discussions and discourse. Uh, and I've seen these among Christians in those same Light. And there are a lot of voices out there uh, and a lot of voices that say a lot of different things. And I think there's a question uh, that is on most American Christians' minds in these days. And that is, you know, how do we live in a time where there's an absolute disconnect between our society, uh, between our governing authorities uh, and between our church in such a way uh, that evil is called good? And good is called evil. Um, Al Mohler, uh, who's the president of Southeastern, I'm sorry, Southern Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, says this in his book: We cannot be silent. The Christian church has long been understood by the culture at large to be the guardian of what is right and righteous. But now the situation is fundamentally reversed. The culture generally identifies Christians as on the wrong side of morality. Well, welcome to America in 2016. But first, I just want to say this is not new in history, um, nor is it new to many Christians across the globe today. In fact, the the New Testament was written in times where actually the church was way on the outside uh, of society and the government. It was written at a time when the church was, in a sense, on the run. But oh, did the gospel spread and the church blossom. So my question today is, church, where do we go from here? Well, we do what Christians have done since the time of Christ. And that is, we live out authentic Christianity. Not the cultural or Christianity of the past. Not moralism divorced from theology. But we shine as pure light in the age of darkness. And there's really only one pure light, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who will radiate through the darkness. Changing laws won't do it. Going back to an earlier time in our history where there was general agreement on how we should live together in our society won't do it. It only comes by bringing the dead human heart to life. Being born again by the Spirit of God to eternal life with Christ as King and living out of that reality as an exile And as an alien in a foreign land. And really God has called you and I, his church, to be that radiant light. To be the radiant bride of Christ as a witness to this world. And not only that, but as well a witness to the principalities and the powers that surround us on a daily basis. And I will tell you, this may not change our situation if we live out authentic Christianity. And it really, it may not change those around us. But we will be changed, And we will glorify our Father in heaven as we become more and more like Christ. Now, the last time, as I said, as I spoke to you, we talked about Paul's admonition in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, and really, Romans 12, 9, what I, what I want to share today, uh, has a powerful word for us who follow in Christ these days. And after the introduction I gave you, this may not be what you think we're, we were going to talk about today. But Romans 12, 9 says this. Let love Be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. So instead of looking at the issues of the day, the turmoil that's swirling around us, and and how we address those with truth, the Word of God, and, and by the way, I think that's very critical that we do that, and that needs to happen, that we need to address the issues of our day from God's Word, and we need to stand firm. But today I'm not going to talk about those. I want to begin really back at the beginning, and that is look at the heart of God's love today. So I want to set the context to start us off. And Paul in Romans follows his familiar pattern when he writes a book. He did this in Ephesians. He's done it in Romans where he he talks about, if you want to say it this way, orthodoxy, where what is our right belief? And then he goes into orthopraxy, which is our right practice. In other words, what do we believe and then how do we live out of that? And he takes the first 11 chapters of Romans to talk about how, uh, what we believe. And then he takes 12 through 16 and talks about how do we live out of that. That's why there's that crossroads in Romans 12, 1, that he talks about sacrificial living. So, so just a, a quick review. Uh, he starts out in Romans chapter 1 and he talks about the essence of the gospel because the gospel actually is the thesis of the book of Romans. And you're familiar with Romans chapter 1, verses uh, 6 16 and 17, that says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul talks about how the whole world is guilty. He starts off with the gospel and and it begins with the, the whole world being guilty before a holy God, both religious both pagans, everyone is guilty before the Lord. And then in chapters 4 and 5, he talks about how God justifies you and I, the sinner by grace. His unmerited favor through faith. And faith is believing in, clinging to, relying on, and fully trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our righteousness before a holy God. And then in chapters 6 through 8, God sanctifies us by conforming us into the image of the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ. And then one day we'll be with Him forever and ever, glorified with Him, both body and soul. And we all look forward to that day. I know that I do. And then in verse, chapters 9-11, Paul talks about, he answers the question that's on everybody's mind as he's writing this letter to the church. But what about Israel? What, what has happened to Israel? They, they don't believe. And he addresses Israel's present state and their future state. And then he hits chapter 12. So as we look at... Uh, well, he begins by telling us, uh, first of all, going back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, what it's going to cost us. And, and really, it's a simple message. It's going to cost us to be believers everything. Now, the interesting part is justification, which is you coming to Christ costs you nothing. But your sanctification costs everything. Your sanctification is you laying it all down. Now, first of all, that is authentic Christianity. That's radical. And this is Jesus on display. And this is what glorifies God. And I want you to think of all this today we're going to talk about in two contexts. In the context of the church. How we show this authentic love to one another. But then also, how do we show this authentic love to a world who probably is pretty cynical about the church? How do we show them? The genuine article here. Authentic Christianity and what that looks like. Well, I'm only going to cover Romans chapter 12, verse 9, but I just want to, in 9 through 21, when you have a chance to go back and look at that, this is where he talks about the full essence of this love. And here's the quick summary of it. We begin with pure, genuine, sincere, unhypocritical love, hating evil and holding fast to what is good. Humbly, affectionately, being concerned with others enthusiastically and fervently with maximum effort serving the Lord. And when the inevitable resistance to that service comes, we face it with hope and joy and believing prayer. And when we see others who are in the same kind of trials, we reach out to them and we share our possessions and our homes and all we have to those in need. And when we're opposed in our service to Christ, we bless those who oppose us. And those who have persecuted us. And we reach out to enjoy the joy of others. And to endure the pain of others. We have no desire for personal prestige. We seek neither office nor position. We don't regard only those who are high people. But we love to fellowship equally with those on the lowest level. And we are marked by a humility that knows no intellectual or social aristocracy. And even those who personally harm us, we don't return evil against them. But we desire to overpower them with good, no matter what they have done. And we assign any vengeance or any judgment or any punishment to God. And in the end, we're overcomers. We're the winners. And that's where Paul finishes this passage. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's the whole story of Romans twelve nine through 21. So that's the context as we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. So as we begin, how does Paul get here? Well, one of the things that, that brings him here is he talks about in Romans, right before this, he talks about spiritual gifts in Romans uh, 12, uh, uh, the first uh, three, three to four verses. Um, verses 4 through 8 have been about how we use spiritual gifts in the church. And Paul turns from the focus on gifts to the focus on the more general way of love in the church. Now, does that sound familiar to to anyone? Because we see that over in one of the biggest uh, uh, pieces that we have on spiritual gifts in the church, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. If you go ahead and turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll start in verse 31 and then we'll move to um, chapter 13. Now, Paul has been talking about the spiritual gifts here. And he says at the end of that chapter, at the end of chapter 12, he says, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And what Paul recognizes here is that the potential for spiritual gifts, and not only spiritual gifts, gifts, but great deeds that we do to puff us up. And so he's kind of saying proceed with caution here. And here's what he says in Romans 13, 1 through 3. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing i want you just to let that sink in for just a moment there's more to love than the doing and i know for much of my life you know we always talk about how love is action and it is and i don't want to say love is not action but really paul gets to the fact that that it's about our hearts that our actions should actually come from something that's inside and those two need to be in line. <clears throat> and we need to spend our life getting them in line. And actually never, never living on the outside when the inside is not there. And we're going to talk about that today. That's going to be primarily what we're going to talk about. And to me, this is a really sobering passage about God's pure, sincere, genuine, unhypocritical love. So let's look at Romans 12.9. And, and I'm going to give you the takeaways up front and then I'll give them at the end. Here's the takeaways. Number one, love doesn't put up artificial fronts. Number two, love doesn't dwell on the flaws of others. Number three, love doesn't crave the praise of men. And four, love doesn't take, does not act religious to hide sin. And then I want us to finally finish with the question. So how do we... How do we love people that actually may be unlovely? Or how about how do we love people that maybe we don't like? And yet, still be sincere, unhypocritical, genuine in our love. So Romans twelve nine. once again, I'll read this to you. Let love be without hypocrisy. The love here is, is the word agape. It is the divine love that we talk about in Scripture. It's God's love. He's not only... He is actually love himself. He's the definer of love. And it says, let love be, and it depends on what your version is. If you've got the uh, New American Standard, it's let love be without hypocrisy. If you're looking at an English Standard Version, it's let love be genuine. If you're looking at the NIV, it's let love be sincere. Um... The King James Version says, let love be without dissimulation. All of this means without concealing your thoughts, your feelings, your character, your pretense. Really, let love be uh, without hypocrisy. And then it goes on to say, abhor what is evil. And that word abhor is really just a strong word for hate. And other versions have hate. And then cling to what is good. And really what is good is based on God's truth and morality. That's how good is defined. And this word cling to is actually, it means to be glued to. So we're to hate what is evil and be glued to the things that God calls good. God's moral morality. His essence, His character. And I've got to tell you, I want this. And you know, as I, as I preach this morning, I wanted to say this up front. I'm, I'm actually preaching to myself. Um, and this is coming out of conviction after studying this and going through this with the class and seeing that my heart, my heart is far from the Lord in, in many ways in loving others and having compassion for others and that I need this transformation in my own heart. And I hope that if, if it can help you today, well, that's great. But this is something that you have to look deep into your heart and ask the Lord about. So genuine love, let's, let's start unpacking this. Genuine love aims to match our heart attitudes, emotions, and actions. We talked about this word. Let's talk about unhypocritical love. It means not to be phony in our dealings with people. Not to be polite, helpful, warm on the outside. While maybe even despising somebody on the inside. And sometimes there's this culture of niceness, this veneer of pleasantness that can develop in a church. It covers things like gossip and backbiting and prejudice. And particularly in a southern church. I mean, you know, we're, we're polite to everybody, right? I mean, that's the way of the South. Um, and also, uh, there can be an absence of tough love that confronts yourself and confronts others. Um, and then genuine love must operate on the basis of God's truth and His moral order. And that's the whole idea of hating what is evil and clinging to what is good. And, and why is this so important that we, that we get this aspect of it as well? <coughs> because sometimes when we love someone, you know, and I shared this with our Sunday school class. You probably remember the classic song, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. Well, sometimes when you're head over heels with somebody, that's exactly what goes through your, your mind. You know, I really love you. And hey, if this is wrong, I'm good. Um, and, and the other line that's, I, I think it's another song, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. Um, th- this can also be a common problem in ch- child rearing where, you know, we, we want our children to be happy. So a lot of times we will love them based on what brings about emotional happiness and joy in the home at the moment, and sometimes forego what is best for the, for the long term. If you've been a parent, you've done that. Um, as just as I have, um, and and it may seem strange that in the same passage that Paul's telling us to love and he's telling us to hate, and this is a long discussion, but you can't actually love without hating. You can't really love without hating. And he tells you exactly what you are to hate and you're to hate what is evil and you're to cling to and love what is good. Um. The other thing is is sometimes we have to think about how we feel like when we see someone that we love and and we have not loved them in the genuine, unhypocritical way and we see how uh, this kind of love has led them for for their life to be ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. But real love stands against this deception. It stands against the lies and the sins that destroy. Um, But this is hardcore stuff and and it gets to a part of us that we try to hide. It gets to the heart of the issue. And you know, Jesus in the New Testament gave the same admonition when he said, you've heard it said, and then he would name, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. You've heard it said that you should not murder. But then he goes on to say, but I say to you, if you lust on a woman in your mind or in your heart, it says if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. And so he takes it down to the level of the heart, the inside, not just the outside. So, if we're going to love without hypocrisy, if we want to be true, genuine, authentic Christians who love with an authentic, genuine, Christ-like love, how do we do that? So, let's take a look at what the Scriptures have to say about hypocrisy to teach us. You know, one form of hypocrisy is that it tries to make the outside look better than the inside. Now, we, we put forward a lot of times what Looks like a loving behavior. But it really doesn't signify what's going on inside of us, in our hearts. Um, just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, If I give away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Think about that. What's the greatest thing you've ever done on the outside? And he's saying here that if you don't have love, it's emanating from here that you have nothing. So you can do some remarkable external acts of sacrifice and not have love. And really a classic statement on this form of hypocrisy is in Matthew fifteen seven, where Jesus said, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said that people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So external lip praising was not a, accompanied by internal heart praise. And and Jesus calls this hypocrisy. And uh, there weren't many things in the New Testament where you see Jesus really getting ramped up. Obviously, when he cleansed the temple was one of those. But the thing that most got him was the hypocrisy, and particularly the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. And he says this in Matthew 23 and verses 25 and Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead man's bones and uncleanness. So the first way that hypocrisy shows itself is when we hide internal sin by putting up a moral, external front. So what's another way that hypocrisy shows itself? Is this fun so far? Yeah. So we hide our flaws, and and, and we actually hide our flaws sometimes even from ourselves by drawing attention to other people's flaws so that ours don't show up so clearly. Um, this, I would say... Um, a lot of times happens in marriages. But not only there. For example, in Luke 6:42, Jesus says this. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And you know, Paul's just saying real love does not act this way. Let your love be without hypocrisy. It isn't love if it's hypocrisy. In 1 Corinthians 13, 6, he says that love rejoices with the truth. But you know what? Hypocrisy is all about falsehood. It's about concealment, deceitfulness, misleading and hiding. It's the opposite of loving the truth. So it's the opposite of love. And... Also says to let your love be without hypocrisy. Let it be genuine. So we have looked at two ways hypocrisy shows itself. Now let's, let's talk about where does this come from? Why does this happen? What's going on here? And why do people do this? Why do we do this? Um, and here's a couple of reasons from the New Testament. One is to get and keep the praise and approval of other people. This is huge. It's huge for all of us in in different degrees. That hypocrisy is driven by craving for other people to make much of us. For example, Matthew 6, 2, Jesus said, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, they crave the reward and approval of men, and they got it, and that's all they got. So Paul says love is not like that. He so said it's not hypocritical, and it doesn't crave the praise of men. And in fact... The love of Christ, through the love of Christ, we have been set free from that bondage. And this is such a key in the Christian life. If you want to walk with Christ, is that you have to know your approval in Christ and your acceptance of Christ so you don't crave the approval of men and other people. In fact, this is really close to the essence of love. Because love really does not think highly of itself. In fact, it doesn't think much about itself at all. It's intensely focused on Christ and all that God is for us in Him. So the command to love without hypocrisy is really a command to love Christ and to know Him and to find your satisfaction in Christ so that we don't crave the praise of men anymore. But there's another evil that hypocrisy sometimes aims at. And and John Piper states this so, so well. And and I never saw this insight until I was... uh, reading uh, some of his writings and, and listening to some of his sermons. And, and he says this, it's a little more subtle. He says, sometimes we do this to cover sins that may have nothing to do with about how we're posturing ourselves or how we're opposing. And let me, let me explain that to you. In Luke 13, uh, and you can go there, go over to Luke 13. Let's start reading. We're going to read this whole story, starting in verse ten. It says he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who, for eighteen years, had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double, and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, "Woman, you're freed from your sickness." And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again, and began glorifying God. Now, isn't that awesome? I want you to think about that. 18 years. How many of you have been sick for 18 years? I know that, you know, that Miss Ruth, who we love and loved and and has been in our church for years, was sick for many, many, many years. And we saw her glorify God in that. But can you imagine being sick for 18 years, bent over, and all of a sudden you're healed? Can you just imagine that? That is just amazing. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Does that sound like a pretty religious answer to you? Now let's don't laugh too hard, because I bet we've given some religious answers before, too. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from her bond on the Sabbath day? And he said this, as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Wow. So Jesus called this man, this Pharisee's zeal for the Sabbath hypocrisy. Why? It wasn't so much that he was seeking the praise of men. He was a hypocrite because his religious zeal was hiding something. So what was this man concealing? He says, does not each of you, it was in the the verse, does not each of you On the Sabbath, untie his ox or his donkey and lead it away to water it? Turn over to Luke 16. Verses 14 and 15. A little insight into the Pharisees. 16, 14, and 15. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all the things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. You know, it's the ox and the donkey that helped these Pharisees make their living. They were more concerned about their animals, more concerned about their animals to be used to make a living for their money than they were. About a woman, a daughter of Abraham, who had been healed after 18 years of sickness. Now, this really cuts at my heart, too. Because I've probably done the same thing in different ways. So, Jesus was saying, you don't give a riff about this woman. You care about your ox and your donkey. You know what? Your religious zeal is sheer hypocrisy. But kind of as we, as we start to draw to a close, let's not, let's not talk about this as though this is the folks out there. And again, I want to share some words from John Piper here. He says, you know, there are liberals who do this. Talking endlessly about the poor and about peace, and about the environment, which are good things. And sleeping around on the weekend. And there are fundamentalists and evangelicals who do this, talking endlessly about the cesspool of modern culture and the godlessness of secular humanism and hiding away in their safe suburban homes with their surround sound entertainment centers, driving their $25,000 cars, and not lifting a finger for the poor or the catastrophic needs of the world. It cuts both ways. You can be a liberal hypocrite or you can be an evangelical hypocrite. End quote and i go back to where we started but love is not that way love doesn't put up artificial fronts doesn't dwell on the flaws of others doesn't crave the praise of men and it doesn't act religious to hide sin love forgets itself looks to christ overflows with joy to him and in him to meet the needs of others so as we as we come to a close How do we love people unhypocritically, genuinely from the heart as well as by our actions? And and some people who are not lovely, some people who we may not even like. How do we do that? Well, we do it the gospel way. We do it by doing. And I want you to remember this phrase, doing love while repenting. We do love while repenting. And softening the heart through the recollection of Christ's sacrifice for us. You know, Romans 5.8 says, a very familiar passage, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I wonder if you've ever said this to yourself, Lord, I was so much more unattractive to you than this person is to me. A person who's generally nice and moral can't do this. You know, if you are that unsaved, nice, and moral person, you kind of have a couple of alternatives. You can kind of have a phony love, which is the niceness on the outside thing, while on the inside you're despising. Or you can have kind of a sporadic love, where you love people, you know, that are lovable, or that you like. I mean, that's just some here and some there. But if you show love as you repent, and the reason you repent is because you see the disconnect between... Your desire to be like Christ in both your heart and your actions. And you see how your heart's not there. If you do this, if you do love while repenting, your heart is softened as you serve. And that your service is sincere towards God at the moment. And becomes more sincere towards the person as you go along. And it's the Holy Spirit who can and will produce this fruit of genuine Authentic love in you. And it's the gospel that makes this possible. You know, the gospel reminds us of God's patience. Romans 2, 4, where it says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? The gospel is the way we think of ourselves with sober judgment. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind. But associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And whoever stands before any of us, whether that person is a Christian, whether that person is a decent person, or whether that person is blatantly immoral, we know that though we, we know that they're no lower in sin than we are. We know that though we are sinners, we're wholly justified and loved by God Himself. And you know what that does to you? You don't have to prove anything to anyone anymore. So without the gospel, we need to convince ourselves and others of our value and worth. And often this leads to hypocrisy. But in the gospel, we find the most admirable person of all is already pleased to be our father and dwell in us. And in that, we're freed to love the outsider, the difficult, the awkward, We're free to honor all and come alongside of those who are marginalized. We don't have the need to affirm ourselves with those like us or necessarily those who we get on well with. We are to love others at a cost to ourselves. Not to earn someone else's love or God's love, but in view of God's love that he's already lavished on us. So, you know, the Bible makes much of Jesus's sacrificial love. He was stripped and killed to love us. And when we love one another at a cost to ourselves, we begin to know what Christ-like love is. So as the praise team comes, I just want to close with this, is that, to go back to the beginning, is that really the essence of what I wanted to share today is that in times that we live today, one of the first order things for us to do as believers is actually to ask the Lord to birth in us a genuine, a genuine, Sincere, unhypocritical, authentic love for each other in the church, for those outside the church, and to recognize when we have a disconnect between our heart and our actions that we need to do love while repenting and then watch God begin to change our hearts and so that all those conversations that we're having with people outside about all these issues of the day, that we're doing it from the right place. And that we can be winsome. We can be someone that they would love to have a conversation with. Because we truly, genuinely love them. And I don't know about you, but I'm not there. But I'm asking the Lord to help me get there. pray that you'd come along as well. So, altars are open. If you'd like to come up to be prayed for today. Or, anyway.